This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Good morning. Speaking of vibes, what an introduction. So cool. Good to be with you. Well, I'm excited to continue our series, Kingdom Living. Um, but before we do that, I wonder, if we, it was amazing to pray together and to, to celebrate what God has done. But we're, as Dave mentioned, we've still got some prayer requests that are in need of breakthrough. And so I'm wondering, you've not got the band still playing in the background. hope we're going to be all right with this. I wonder if there are any people who would be bold enough to just come forward and take one of these and keep hold of it for the next week or so and really pray into this situation that is in need of breakthrough. When you're done with it in a week, you can pop it on the board. I wonder if anyone has faith to believe for breakthrough in somebody else's situation. If you do, please come and get one of these and take hold of it for this week. Thank you. Amazing, thank you. Still got a few if you're on the edge of your seat. Six. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can take your seats. You can, um, yes, please take hold of that. Pray into that situation in this next week and uh, believe for breakthrough and then you can pop it on the board perhaps you pop it on the prayer request side because we're still praying perhaps you pop it on the praise report side because maybe we'll see breakthrough even in this week and if you're not sure if you're like I don't know if anything's happened because I don't know who this person is then please speak to us and we'll get you connected with who you're praying for amazing well how are we doing this morning good why don't you turn to the person next to you and say it is a good morning And you can say, all the better for sitting next to you. You can see some smiles, some love, some hugs. Amazing. Well, it is good to be together today. And it's been a really exciting season for us as a church because we've been celebrating that we are finally and officially completed with building our church home. After, um, after over 20 years, it's just so it's exciting to celebrate that. And you saw a bit of a sneak peek from Matthew in Life News. He filmed from uh, the offices, which is part of the first floor that we've completed. But if you want to have a look around there, then you can join us um, on a tour this afternoon 12, from 12.45 after the service. And if you'd like to do that, and please pop your name at reception. But what I think just feels really exciting and and even significant for us in terms of God's timing in his wonderful ways that we don't always understand is that we've, we've kind of finished the building, finally, the construction, in the same month that we look towards Vision Week and Vision Sunday and Heart and Soul, as you've heard from Matt. And that just feels really exciting that, that we can close the chapter called Building Construction that just felt like it was open a bit too long. And then we can look ahead to the future together. And so we're really excited to to be able to do that later this month with Vision Week, with Vision Sunday, Heart and Soul, and then Vision Offering as well. To be able to to share what we sense God is speaking to us for, for the future, for the years to come, for us as a community and beyond. 
So we're really excited looking ahead to that. And Matt let you know a few bits of what, what that involves. Throughout Vision Week, there'll be opportunities to pray in person and online. We'll give you more information about that. And then Vision Week culminates with our vision offering. And so if you're new to the church community and you weren't kind of here this time last year, let me tell you, our, our vision offering is, is an annual opportunity to, um, to give together, to give towards funding the vision, hence the name. And uh, it's, a, it's an offering that we give in person, so be warned, there is joy in the house on that day. And um, it, we kind of, we draw the idea of the vision offering from some of the principles we see around the first fruits offering in the Old Testament. And um, the, the first fruits was a time when the community came together to give the first of the fruit of the harvest. They were good at naming things back then. The first of the fruit of the harvest. And so they would come together to give to God and his purposes, the community, the needs. And they would do that right at the beginning of the harvest. And so it was an amazing expression of trust in God as provider. You know, they didn't wait until the end of the harvest when they'd got what they needed and they kind of knew what kind of harvest it was going to be, how the weather was going to play out, how the crops were going to be. And they kind of just gave what was left and what they knew they could spare. They gave right at the beginning of the harvest as, a, as an expression that God is provider. As we look out on the uncertainty of what the harvest might bring, God is provider. And so there's a sense of, well... We can give despite uncertainty because our certainty is in the faithfulness of God. And so that's why we give together at the beginning of a year. And so this year specifically, what we're wanting to do with the vision offering is to invest in children and young people in the life of our community and beyond. So we give from an expression of trust that God is provider despite the uncertainty. But what we're giving to specifically in terms of our purpose, our vision, what we're setting out to do is we're giving specifically towards children and young people in the life of our community. And so what that specifically looks like is we are looking to fund two part-time roles. Um, so a life kids team leader and a, a youth team leader. So it was really exciting that at the back end of last year, we were able to employ our youth team leader part-time from some external funding. That external funding runs out next month. And so we're looking to extend that from the generosity of the vision offering, but also to recruit and to fund a life kids team leader, which we haven't had for about 15 years. And so this for us is really exciting. Someone who will be able to lead our ministry to children. So that looks like what we do on Sundays in all of our rooms. It looks like life tots throughout the week, our outreach into primary schools that children who are not connected to church might hear the good news of Jesus in their schools and also organizing family events throughout the year. And so that's what we're specifically giving to in our vision offering this year. So I just wanted to kind of update you on that, let you know that and just invite you to, to think and to pray about how you can get involved in the vision offering this year, the beginning of March, and how you can join us investing in our wonderful children and young people. Wonderful. You still with me? Amazing. Let's get on with our series. So we're continuing our series, Kingdom Living. And this is the penultimate part. It's always worth getting that word out when you can. And um, this, throughout this series, we've been looking at what does it mean to live for the kingdom of God? 
What does it mean to, to live out, to embody the prayer, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? What does it mean to make the kingdom of God our primary concern? And as we're thinking about kingdom living today, I want us to think about one specific question. I want you to think about this and reflect on this today and as we go into this week. And the question is this, what are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? What are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? And so to help us with this, we're going to look at one of the parables that Jesus told. It's in Matthew 25, starting at verse 14, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So here we go. This is the words of Jesus. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it into, in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had trusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me the five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who'd received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my own money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take this money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who are well, who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But to those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I should have warned you, it takes a dark turn. 
at the end of the story there. But we've got these, these three servants and they're entrusted with their master's money. And the one who is entrusted with five invests it straight away. There's an intentionality to grow it straight away and, and has a 100% return, I think. And then, the, and then the second servant who's entrusted with two does the same and says, well, I've made two into four. And these, these, these servants are commended for their intentionality, for their, for their faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the third servant, the third servant just seems to miss it. And in the passage, it talks about money. So it's used as the phrase bags of silver. Some translations say bags of gold. Some translations say talents, which was a, a unit of currency. But this passage is often used to talk about things much wider than money. And we're not going to talk about money today. But, but to consider what has God entrusted to us in terms of gifts, abilities, passions, skills, Today in Life Kids, they've got a talent show where as the kids think about this principle, they're going to get to put their talents and their gifts on display, which I just think is really cool that they're going to get to step out and then be celebrated by the leaders and by the other children. So you might see a few kids with some medals at the end, so you can congratulate them on being awesome. You see, the first two servants get it, but for some reason, the third servant misses the point. Some reason, the third servant just doesn't get it. And it seems to me, from the things that he says, he's got some misconceptions. That the way that he sees what is going on is warped and skewed. And so what I want to do today is look at three of those misconceptions, because it might just be that we find ourselves seeing the same perspective. It might just be that as, I, as we unpack these misconceptions about how the third servant viewed the master and what he was meant to do with what was entrusted to him, it might be that we find ourselves falling into some of those same traps too. It might be preventing us with being faithful and intentional with what God has entrusted to us. So the first misconception that we see in this servant is a misconception of who God is. A misconception of who God is. In verse 24 to 25, he says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. He says, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. I don't know about you, but I'm not very comfortable telling someone to their face, I know you're harsh. Especially someone who I actually think is harsh. That's more scary, right? But here's this, this servant who seems to miss it, is so bold, it seems. I know that you're harsh. I know that you're unreasonable. Planting where you didn't harvest, cultivating where you didn't plant. Greedy, expecting something that you didn't, didn't put in for. But actually, when we look at the master in the passage, he's incredibly generous. He shares his wealth with the servants. He doesn't have to. He shares what he has. I don't see a harsh master. 
He shares what he has. He's full of praise. He invites them to celebrate with him. And so we realize that this third servant has a misconception of who the master is. Of course, in parables, the master, there's always a God character that tells us something about God. It's not a perfect image, but here in the passage, the master is like the God character. It's meant to teach us something about God. And we see that the servant just misunderstands who God is. And for us today, discovering who God is, discovering his nature and his character is like a lifelong journey that we can all go on, that we should go on. And it shapes us. It defines us. It forms our future. There's a famous quote by A.W. Tozer that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That in everything that we would say about ourselves, everything that we set our minds to do, everything that's going on in our lives, the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. How we view God, how we see God, how we understand and experience God, because that shapes us and it defines us and it forms our future. It's so, so, so important. And so I wonder for us today, for you, what comes into your mind when you think about God? What comes into your mind when you think about God? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? What does the way that you interact with God say about how you view God? You know, do you see a God who's standing at a distance wagging his finger because you've made a mistake again? Do you see a God who comes close and his arms are open and wide for embrace? Do you see a God that is like a father who's disappointed or disinterested? Or a God who delights in you? Like a father who delights in you. Because scripture says he delights over us, that he, he rejoices over us with singing. That's the joy that you bring to the heart of God. Do you see God like that today? Because there's stuff along the way, isn't there, of life that can shape our view of God. And some of it's positive, and some of it's negative, and some of it's clear. It's like a clear and accurate view of God, and sometimes it's smeared, and it's not a true reflection of who God is. And it's not an easy thing to understand the fullness of who God is, and that's why it's a lifelong adventure. Remember for me, recognizing a few years ago that There was part of how I saw God that was warped. And I saw it because of how I interacted with God. And there were things that I was was seeing clearly, but I realized there's something not right here about how I see God because the things that are most dear to me, those kind of those hopes and dreams, the things that I long for, the things that I really want, I realized I was frightened to bring them to God because I'd bought into an assumption that if it's something I really want, then God will say no. Because I'd understood, but maybe taken it too far, that that part of being a Christian is to sacrifice and to lay down your life and to lay down your rights and be willing to let those things go. But I'd taken that idea just too far. And so if there was anything that I wanted or desired, the deepest desires of my heart, I was frightened to bring them to God because I thought God will say no because I'm meant to lay all those things down. 
And I realized that actually I'm beginning to see God as some authoritarian figure who isn't interested in what's in my heart, who isn't interested in me as a human individual. And so I had to understand, I had to make that view of God more accurate. I had to challenge that and and work that through. And I came to understand that God delights in giving us the desires of our hearts. Those ones that are in line with his desires for us. Because he knows what is better for us than we know for ourselves. And he delights in giving us those. And that I can trust him with the deepest desires of my heart. Because even the ones that he's going to say no to... He will give me the strength to lay those down. I don't have to hide them away in fear of God saying no. And that was just, I guess for me, one example, and one step in that journey of understanding who God is and just aligning the view of who God is into reality, seeing more clearly. Because when we play, when we do that, when we play our part, in making sure that how we see God is clear and accurate, then we, we are free to be faithful and intentional with what God has entrusted to us. So misconception number one, he misunderstood who God is. Secondly, he misunderstood, he had a misconception of what God had given him. The servant had a misconception of what the master had given him. And maybe we might find ourselves today buying into a misconception of what God has entrusted to us. And I wonder if um, Gemma and Dave and Pete would um, come and help me with this. You see, as I mentioned in the passage we're reading, it talks about bags of silver. Some passages talk about bags of gold, and some passages talk about talents, which is a, a unit of currency. And so I've got some bags of gold here today. Oh, come on. I've got some bags of gold. And I've got my, my three servants. <laughs> Come down here, guys. Come down here. Welcome, welcome. Gemma, if you could stand over there. Do you want to stay up there? <laughs> Gemma, you can, be, you can be servant number one. And I'm going to entrust you with five bags of gold. Ooh. I'm entrusting that to you. I'm sharing my wealth with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to entrust you with two bags of gold. Come on, come on, everyone. And Dave, I'm going to entrust you with one bag of gold. Come on, everyone. Oh. Now, Dave, you might not be alone in this based on the way they've just reacted to you. But Dave, if you look across at what, what your fellow servants have, how do you feel about what you've got? I feel a bit miffed, really. Do you, I don't know why, but you seem to like them more than you like me. Oh. Is that, is that what you were thinking? Because you seemed to pity Dave. You felt sorry for him. What would you think, well, Dave, what would you think if I told you that one bag of silver or gold or the talent was um, equivalent to 20 years' wages? Yeah. Which in... Um, if you look at, in the UK, the average salary, annual salary is £28,000. So 20 years of that is £560,000, <laughs> which could have been your prize today. Um, that is a lot of money, isn't it? 
actually what was given to each one of them, even the third servant, was an incredibly valuable amount of money, 20 years of a laborer's day wage. And yet, if that's looked at in comparison, it changes how you view it, doesn't it? So I'm going to let these wonderful... Well, I'm sorry, I'm taking the money back. It's just an illustration. You know, I wonder if the, the servant seemed to miss the value of what had been entrusted to him. And maybe it was because he looked at and thought, well, I've only got half of what that one's got. I've only got a fifth of what that one's got and missed the value of what had been entrusted to him. And I wonder if we sometimes find ourselves in a situation like that, that we look at what has been entrusted to us in comparison to what seems to have been entrusted to others, and we miss the value of what God has given to us. You see, comparison is a thief. It robs us of joy. It robs us of um, gratitude. It, it, it makes us inactive. It robs us of focus. And instead, what each of us should do is, is focus on what God has entrusted to us. Even that third servant, although it seems less, and we got that, didn't we, by your reactions... It was almost like a pantomime. That was great. <laughs> Even if it may seem bigger or smaller or less, but to recognize the value of what has been entrusted because the value that was entrusted to that third servant was a great value, 20 years worth of day laborers' rate. And so I wonder for us if that might be a challenge to us to recognize the value of what has been entrusted to us, not to waste our time looking at what someone else might have or not have, but to focus on our race, to stay in our lane. And then we'll be free, we'll be positioned to be faithful and intentional with what God has entrusted to us because we're not wasting our energy thinking, why has that person got more or less? And, and as Dave said, that it's no reflection on God's love for us because his love for us is endless for each and every one of us. So that is the second, second misconception. And the third one is this, a misconception of whose gold it is anyway. A misconception of who this belongs to, the, the gold, the silver, the talent, the gift that is inside of you. See, the gold was entrusted to the servants, but who did it belong to? The master. I heard you. The master. It still belonged to the master. And how true, of, how true is that of us today? That you belong to God. That you were created lovingly by God. And when you gave your life to Jesus, if you've made that step in your life... You got on the same page. You got with the program. You recognize that all I am belongs to God. For those of us that haven't yet made that step, it's still true. That God created you, that he made you, that he lovingly designed you. And so true of the gifts that he's entrusted to you. And so who are we to let those just lie dormant? Who are we to stand there thinking, well, this isn't as much as that person But maybe we could be people who are faithful and intentional with what God has entrusted to us. Because we don't, we, we understand who God is. 
because we understand the value of what's been given to us. And we understand that it's, it's not actually mine, it's God's. And he's entrusted it with me. And so I'm not going to run away and hide away and put it in the ground out of fear, a fear of failure that leads to inactivity. But I'm going to invest it and I'm going to use it and I'm going to grow it and I'm going to step out. Because as we do that together, we see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder if the band could come and help us. Because my question today is, what are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? What are you doing? There'll be a few moments in a chance to reflect. What are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? My challenge, my hope is that we'll go from here determined to be intentional and faithful. Faithful and intentional. Consistently purposeful to use the gifts that God has given us, not hide them away. I know for me, early early on in my adult life, as I kind of moved from the south of England to the north of England and began serving in in Manchester, uh, I, I remember just being so passionate about serving behind the scenes. And um, I was so passionate about serving God and others in the ways that were unseen, in the ways that were hidden. And I wasn't hiding my gifts. I was using my gifts. And I recognized gifts inside of me at the time of organization and administration. And so I was using my gifts in a hidden way. And I loved it. And I felt like this is what I am here on the planet to do. Age 18, I finally cracked it. I finally nailed it. I know what God created me to do. And I was so excited, purposeful, passionate about it. And then I began to get opportunities. I began to get opportunities to lead and to speak and to preach and to teach. And I was terrified. But I still said yes. Because I've generally tried to go by the principle of if there's an opportunity, I'm going to say yes, even if I'm terrified. And I felt kind of a stirring that God's given me something to say, even though I'm really scared to say it. So I took some opportunities, and it was still scary. I remember sometimes preparing for a message or a preach, it was like an emotional roller coaster that lasted weeks. It was exhausting. I remember sometimes speaking and then thinking, I don't know when I last took a breath. I don't know if I've got enough oxygen in my body right now because these nerves just seem to be dominating everything that I'm doing. I remember for about four years, the wonderful people who serve us on side stage, it's Jeff today, one of their jobs, and they do it very well, is to hand you a microphone. And there's so much that goes on behind the scenes behind that, but they do it very well. And for about four years, my nerves would get the better of me, and I would say, is it definitely on? Are you sure that it's on? Because I had this childhood experience of getting up and public speaking, getting up to read a passage in assembly in front of all the parents and all the teachers and all the kids. And I started to read with my best reading voice. And I thought, the microphone's not on. So I stopped, pressed the button, started to read again and thought, oh, the microphone was on. I've just turned it off. Now I look completely stupid. And at age nine, that could be quite defining. So I stopped, pressed the button again, and I start again. And you know what? I read that passage really well. But all I could think about was how stupid I looked in front of all these people. 
And so for years, that kind of stuck with me. And when I was handed a microphone, is it on? Are you definitely on? I'm not doubting you and your abilities. This is my fear coming out. And you know, for me today, even um, for me, preaching and teaching did and still does really take something from me. If you speak to me on a Monday, I've often got brain fog. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a cost. It's so incredibly vulnerable. And if you've ever done it, you'll know it's so incredibly vulnerable to bear your heart in public. And then like 10 times fold if you cry. <laughs> Which I've got through this morning about doing that. But over the years, I have been purposefully consistent to say yes to the opportunities to use the gifts that God has stirred in me, the ones that I didn't see, the ones that I didn't know, even at personal cost, I've set out to be intentional and faithful with what God has entrusted me to do. And you know what? I still love serving behind the scenes. I love getting, I just get such a buzz out of serving in the hidden ways to support and facilitate others. I still use those gifts of organization and administration. But as I've been faithful in stepping out into gifts of leadership and communication that God has entrusted to me, I've seen that I've grown in a way that I never imagined. And I've seen that it's blessed people. And so who would I be to say, no, I'm too scared? No, I don't want to. It's too much of a cost. When God's entrusted me with something that could bless other people. You know, as I'm talking about this and my example, I want to make it clear that public ministry is not the pinnacle of serving God. That preaching on this platform is not the prize. The pinnacle of what it means to serve God is to be intentional and faithful with what God has gifted to you, with what God has put in your hands, regardless of what might be in the hands of the people next to you, to be intentional and faithful in what God has entrusted to you. And so it will look, the pinnacle of serving God will look different for every person. You know, I share this story not to elevate myself, not to elevate what is seen over what is unseen, what is public over what is private, but because it's my story and the, the most, the steepest, most uncomfortable learning curve that God has taken me on. And it's my hope that us as a people, for us today, my desire and my prayer for each one of us is that we'd be faithful and intentional with what God has entrusted to us. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's scary, even when it comes at a personal cost. Because we're thinking about kingdom living. And I believe that when we do that, we begin to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When each of us is intentional and faithful with what God has entrusted to us. So I want us to think for one more moment about this question as we respond today. What am I doing with what God has entrusted to me? And we're just going to take a few moments, even in this space, just a few moments of quiet for you to, to, to drill into this question. What are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? Maybe you want to start with, well, what is it? What has God entrusted to me? Am I still being purposeful, intentional and faithful? Faithful and intentional with what God has given to me. Or do I find myself inactive because of one of those misconceptions? Do I need to process that in prayer and with someone else today? Let's just take a few moments to reflect. What am I doing with what God has entrusted to me?
If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at lifelanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours 24-7.